2: So Smart Podcast, episode 154.
3: Okay, in that chair. All right, here's the deal.
2: Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. Okay,
0: so here's the game. See these chocolates? Uh Uh-huh. I'm gonna give you one right now, but here's the deal. If you don't eat it, and let it sit there for a couple minutes, I'll come back and I'll give you a second one. I give you a marshmallow. If you
1: want, you can eat this straight away. Okay, so here's the deal. There's a marshmallow,
2: you can either wait, and I'll bring you back another one, so you can have two, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two stay in here and stay in the chair
0: till I come back, okay? If you right. eat this one, you don't get this one, okay? Kay. So I'm gonna leave the room, and you can't eat it. You have to wait five minutes, okay? Kay. Now I can eat it. Then you can eat it, okay? And, and if you haven't eaten it when I come back, then you can have a second one.
4: Okay? okay so eat it done. now or wait till I get back and you can have two. Now I'll be back in a little
0: bit. If we wait, we, we, we'll, we'll get us two?
4: Yep, if you wait, you get two. Or you can eat it now, whichever you want, okay? I'll, I'll be I'll back in a little bit.
2: Get away. If you go to YouTube and search for the marshmallow test, you will find thousands of videos like these. And in them, parents test their children to see if they can delay gratification using the general setup of a famous psychological experiment from the 1970s. Though in the original experiment, they didn't only use marshmallows.
5: Actually, we, we very often use things that aren't marshmallows. They can be M&Ms, they can be Oreo cookies. It's whatever the child picks from a, se- a set of assorted goodies that we have available for her or for him.
2: That is world-renowned psychologist Walter Michel.
5: Uh What I uh, have been studying for uh, about 45 or 50 years now is how children develop self-control and what
2: the implications of self-control are for their lives uh, as they grow up. To that end, Michelle created the Marshmallow Test, and it was a way to quantify differing levels of self-control in individuals. The test does this by timing how long a person can wait before they give in to temptation. And the setup's really simple. Scientists placed in front of a child a pretzel or a cookie or a giant marshmallow or some other confection, and then they told them they could either eat that treat right away or wait a set amount of time, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, sometimes as long as 20 minutes. And if they waited, they would double down on their payoff. They would get two treats. If they couldn't wait, though... They could ring a bell, or they could just eat the treat, and after that, the researcher would end the experiment and mark when the child gave in. In the original experiment, about one-third of children ate the marshmallow, and some made no attempt at self-control. They just ate it right away. Others stared at it, or licked it, or smelled it for a while, and then they ate it. And Michelle found that for children, with no one watching, with no one to say, "Ah, ah, ah-ah-ah, this was... An excruciatingly difficult task. And you can see that in any one of those thousands of YouTube videos. Daddy,
0: can I eat it now? Daddy.
2: This is a video by Garrett Barker, and that's his son, Brooks, who repeats that question over and over like a mantra. For the entire time that he waits.
0: Daddy, then I eat the chocolate.
5: Daddy, Tim I eat the
2: chocolate. (laughs) Brooks is demonstrating something important here. The kids who overcome their desire for short-term reward in favor of a better outcome they tend to use strategies like this to keep their minds off the temptation. They watch the wall. Instead of looking at the food, they tap their feet. They smell the marshmallow. They lick it. They pretend to eat it. Many writhe in agony, twisting their hands and feet while looking away. Some make silly noises and some rub the marshmallow on their faces. Anything to fight the painful pull of guaranteed pleasure in the moment that will extinguish the chance of a better payoff in the future. Can I eat the
0: chocolate now, Daddy?
2: Can I eat the chocolate now? So sad. And Brooks' dad does something that you will see every once in a while. To Brooks' dismay, he ups the ante. Hey,
0: Brooks. Can I eat the chocolate now? Did you eat it? No. Let me see. Oh, wait, leave it there for a second. Don't touch it yet. Why? Right. So, here's the deal. I'll make a deal with you. Here's two. If you don't eat those, I'll give you three. Okay. Okay? But this time I'm going to go outside and you have to be quiet the whole time, okay? Why? Right. Because that's the test. That's the game. If you don't touch, if you don't eat those, I'll give you three chocolates, okay? Can I eat them now? Nope. If you eat those, you only get two. But if you don't eat them, I'll come back and you'll get one more. Okay. Yeah, do you understand? Yeah. okay I'm gonna go outside but so you have to stay right there and I'll come back in and see if you
1: can...
2: Oh, so sorry, Brooks, but I understand, you know, I understand what his dad's doing here because there's a reason why so many parents do this and still do this other than, you know, it makes for a great YouTube video. It's because Michelle kept tracking the kids in his study. And as they grew into teenagers and adults, he found that the ones who could wait, showed a lower incidence of behavioral problems in later life. And what we found in many studies
5: is that the choices they make uh, have uh, very serious connections uh, to uh, how their lives uh, work out in the sense that kids who are able to self-regulate to delay gratification by the time they're four or five or six years old, have a much better chance of doing well at school, have a much better chance of thriving as adolescents and moving on
2: in life. They were more confident, more self-reliant, and they worked better under pressure. They were less easily frustrated, less disorganized, and more decisive. They weren't as quick to express jealousy or envy, and they scored, on average, 200 points higher on the SAT, the standardized test that's used in the United States for college admissions. The big deal about
5: self-control is if you have it, you're able to actually pay attention to the teacher and to learn.
2: As the Internet became a bigger part of our lives, with TED Talks and YouTube and social media and all the rest, Michelle's work became extremely popular. Pop science books appeared discussing its implications And news agencies across the globe began to put out features about his research and what it might mean for your kids and their kids and kids across the country. This is among the most famous experiments in the history of psychology, with implications for economics.
5: Whether you're 5, 15, or 50 years old, one of the hardest things to deal with in life can be exercising willpower and making a sacrifice in the short term in order to achieve something of greater value later. It's one of those commonly accepted life lessons. But now, it turns out, there are more organized efforts to teach it to children. And what are those powerful implications? Is that
0: uh, that later in life, they're more disciplined and have more self-control? Is that pretty much it? Well, they are more likely to achieve their life goals. They have better relationships. They did better on their SAT test. I know, that's they,
1: crazy. All because they waited 15 minutes for well, two marshmallows? I mean, I think
0: it is crazy. <laughs> I probably would have eaten all three. But
1: Yeah, me too.
3: <laughs> but, um, so what is the one you know, psychological actually, yes, test that correlates you know. with success in life? And I found out that it's the marshmallow test. You get kids and ask them, do you want a marshmallow now or two marshmallows a few hours from now? And the kids that want the marshmallow now tend to be those that want shortcuts. Those that don't want to do the hard work. They want the, the, the quick kill. They grab that marshmallow. But the other ones say, now, wait a minute. If I wait two hours, I can get two marshmallows. I can hold out. There's a pot of gold waiting for me. They're not going to take the shortcut. And so you say to yourself, well, that's a test for kids. But then you track them decade by decade by decade and you find that they are more successful they have a lower divorce rate higher income higher status in society that don't want that simple uh, payoff now but are going to delay gratification into the future and so i realized that that's the key to success in life not just science but in life don't take the That's charm.
2: Michio Kaku a theoretical physicist like i said it's everywhere even sesame street under michelle's guidance used his research as the basis of a Cookie Monster music video. Me
1: get this feeling when we see a cookie on a plate. Me want to grab it, want to eat it, oh, me no can wait. But now me know that self control is something me must learn. Me want to grab it, want to eat it, but me wait. Me want it, but me wait. Hard oh, is not easy. Me get the feeling when a chocolate chip be
2: on. A so, plate, if you're a parent, and you hear all this, and you learn how easy it is to do the test at home, you will find it hard to resist the temptation to test your child's ability to resist temptation. I mean, after all, it's supposed to portend your child's entire chances at future success.
0: now?
1: But me wait!
2: In case you were wondering... Brooke successfully waited for the third chocolate, but, uh, ugh, it was not easy.
0: Are you okay? Yeah. Was that frustrating? Yeah. But guess what? You won the game because you were able to wait, huh?
5: So
0: was that hard? Yeah. That was a hard game, huh? Yeah, what but guess what? Waiting that long was worth it, wasn't it? Because now you get to eat (laughs) three. That's pretty cool, Brooks. Good job.
2: So today, the marshmallow test. It's part of our culture And it's impossible to underestimate just how influential it has been on our understanding of success, self-control, grit, and all the other things we find ourselves struggling to maintain, overwhelmed in this landscape of fast food and novelty and devices and media and email and Twitter and politics and all the other things we can use to avoid work or exercise or meditation or eating a salad.
4: Yeah, well, you know... I think uh, if you were making a top 10 list of sort of psychology studies that uh, people know about who are outside the research community, it would certainly make the top 10. I mean, it may even be in the top five up there with like Milgram and the Stanford Prison
2: Experiment. That is childhood development researcher Tyler Watts.
4: My name is Tyler Watts. I am a research assistant professor at New York University, and I study education and developmental uh, psychology issues, uh, particularly um, policies around early childhood and early childhood interventions. and I'm sort of interested in you know what are the right uh, programs to invest in and
2: um, and what kind of programs are going to lead to long-term effects on kids' lives. Watts studied to be a psychologist, but when a friend at UC Irvine asked him to join him in doing early education research, something that Watts was passionate about, he leapt at the opportunity and ever since has studied the effects of poverty on childhood development and how to deal with those effects with early childhood interventions. In grad school, he studied early math achievement. And achieving high scores in math early in school is something that was believed for a long time to be a predictor of later outcomes. The idea in many schools was that if you teach math at a high level at an early age, those students will be better off in high school and in college and in later life. But when he dug into the literature, he found that those effects fade out. Which suggested that the
4: correlational literature uh, had been wrong, right? That the sort of predictions that the correlational literature had
2: made weren't right. And that made him think, What about the marshmallow test? Because you see, there are schools around the world that use Michelle's work as a basis for teaching self-control at an early age in an attempt to change the way children's lives unfold.
3: What is this talking about? Don't
5: eat the marshmallow. Brittany in the back. Self-control. Okay, so we're talking
2: about self-control. That's the KIPP Infinity Middle School in New York City, and this audio is from a PBS report on how the school teaches kids in Harlem how to delay gratification, along with other techniques, in an attempt to instill those abilities that Michelle found correlated with performance on the marshmallow test. In fact, they've been talking about self-control since the first day of school, when teacher Layla bravo willy gave all of her students the marshmallow test.
4: They come in, they have a marshmallow in front of them, and they're looking around like, "What? what is this?
2: And that's why we're talking to Tyler Watts, because when he dug into the literature, well, he just produced a study along with Greg Duncan and Honan Kwan that suggests that all this time, we've been learning the wrong lesson from Michelle's famous study. And to say the least, his work has raised eyebrows all across psychology and education
4: it has been pretty busy yeah
2: (laughs) you threw a grenade you threw a live grenade grenade into uh one of the most famous you know psychological discussions out there so of course
4: (laughs) yeah i guess i um we kind of knew that it could get some attention but i don't think i really thought through what that would mean for my week
2: (laughs) (laughs) what did he find and what does it mean for the future of education and for the legacy of the marshmallow test all that after the spring, me
1: way, me wanted, but me way, me wanted, but me way, me wanted, but me way. When we lose control, when we have no doubt, we have scratched our teeth that can calm me down, we can talk to sound. Me can stand up straight Me can take deep breath Me can self-regulate Me wait Me want it But me wait Me want it But me wait Me want it But me wait Me wait But me wait
2: Turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project. Whether you're looking to start a new business, showcase your work, publish content, sell products, and more, Squarespace is the tool for you. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. Squarespace's powerful e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online, and analytics help you grow your site in real time. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box, and there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Buying domains is also super simple with Squarespace, and you'll get the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support. Squarespace empowers millions of people, from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants and gyms, to turn great ideas into something real. How do you turn your great idea into something real? This is what you do. You go to squarespace.com slash so smart, and you're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, you can use the offer code so smart to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Here are those two deals. Squarespace.com slash so smart. That's for the free trial. Offer code so smart. That gets you 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. Go to Squarespace. Use Squarespace and turn your idea into a reality. Time to talk about my favorite thing in the world, The Great Courses Plus. I know you love learning new things. I know that you love challenging the way you think about different ideas, which is why I want you to check out this thing that I love so much, The Great Courses Plus. This is an amazing streaming service it's a great way to discover thought-provoking unique perspectives from some of the world's leading professors and experts but the thing that makes it great is it's they have stuff about everything virtually every topic any topic you can imagine things you would never think there would be courses about are on there things i know you'll like will be things like developing emotional intelligence the future of human evolution but there's also like the roman empire mediterranean cooking travel photography and so much more you can watch it on any device from wherever you are, using the Great Courses Plus app. And if you don't want to use the app, you can watch it on your TV or your laptop and get the full video experience. It's really cool. I recommend checking out a course that I really enjoyed: The Psychology of Human Behavior. Of course I enjoy that course. This is a course taught by Professor David W. Martin, and you get 36 lectures in this course, each one of them about 30 minutes long. It starts out with modern psychology and historical context, and then it moves all the way through Freud, and then into the details of psychoanalytic theory. From there, you bounce into anxiety and mood disorders. You talk about schizophrenic disorders. And then by the time you're in the middle of all these things, you're talking about therapies, talking therapies, physical therapies, behavioral therapies, models of motivation. By the end, we're talking about psychoactive drugs, how to engineer psychology going forward, how to look at perception, evolutionary psychology, memory, and more. Take your knowledge, to the next level with The Great Courses Plus. Right now, they're giving my listeners a full month of unlimited access for free. There's so much stuff on the service. In a month, you would get so many cool things into your brain, and then at the end of that, you'd say, oh my God, I could do this for years, and I would never, ever, ever, ever see it all. Get your free month right now, signing up through my special URL, The Great Courses Plus, Dot com slash smart that's the great courses plus dot com slash smart and now we return to our program i'm david mccraney and this is the you are not so smart podcast In May of 2018, Tyler Watts and his colleagues set out to investigate one of the major takeaways from the original marshmallow test research, that not only can you teach kids how to have better self-control, but by doing so, you could improve their chances of success in later life.
4: You know, there are like charter schools and private schools that will give kids the marshmallow test uh, when they first come into school, like in kindergarten, and they'll sort of use that to make uh behavioral diagnostic decisions i i was completely unaware of that i didn't know that schools were were actually doing that um and you know i think that it is something that um has gotten into the kind of like pop science world mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh so the uh the the influence has definitely been pretty large and of course the the piece that we were interested in is sort of like the longitudinal aspect right um which is like it, you know it's being good at that the marshmallow test, which should mean that you are better at delaying gratification, um, is that actually sort of a key skill that is uniquely important later on? And, and, and if you teach a kid that, do you expect that, uh, that that's going to have big effects
2: in their life? In Walter Mischel's delayed gratification research, some of which was done in the 1970s, some in the 1990s, they found that kids who could wait when offered a single marshmallow now, or two marshmallows if they could resist temptation, were more likely to succeed later in life. And plenty of research has found that those kids in that original study who did wait had higher test scores in the SAT, lower divorce rates, higher incomes, lower body mass index, and fewer behavioral problems later in life. In his previous work, Watts had found that similar work involving math achievement had revealed that it wasn't nearly as predictive as it had once been assumed. Sure, high math ability increased achievement in other domains for a few years, but as kids grew older, those effects faded away.
4: Uh, the marshmallow test started to kind of bubble up because that was um, a literature base that had probably been even more, uh, what's the right word, um, sort of, s- it, it had found itself sort of steeped into every aspect of, of psychology as well. Well, as developmental psychology. And every time you kind of think about what's important in early childhood, the marshmallow test would, would, would come up in, in conversation. Mm. So then we started looking uh, at that literature and um, realized that really uh, that needed to sort of be
2: looked at again. Now, Watts is clear on this. It's not that being good at delaying gratification is not an important skill, and it's not that it's not predictive of later outcomes in life. This is really not in question. What is in question is if, like math ability, having that skill as a child has more impact on a person's development than other factors, which, as he has found in his previous work, are more likely to predict success.
4: Yeah, I mean, it may, and it has, there's just some kind of like folk wisdom to that too, right? And, and I think that um, if, if coming to the conclusion that delay of gratification doesn't matter at all. For, uh, for sort of, you know, everyday uh, success in life. I You know, that doesn't really pass the sniff test, right? Because I just as you were right. saying, like, we're all faced every day with, you know, do you click on this link or yeah. do you open the text message <laughs> or do you do something more boring that you need to get done? <laughs> right, right. Uh, right, right. And so we're all sort of challenged with that. Um, our question was really, and it really kind of unlocks sort of questions about, the way that, that people develop, which I think is, is, is interesting, is, you know, is sort of tuning up the ability to delay gratification early in life, is that really a key, uh, it, it, how important is that, right? Mm-hmm. And and let's say that a kid isn't very good at delaying gratification at age four, um, is that sort of, you know, going to have a deterministic effect on their, on their later outcomes? I doubt that Michelle would have ever actually said that that was the case, but it's just the way that this thing has kind of gotten talked about.
2: And Watts is right. Here's Michelle saying that very thing you've got a much better chance of taking the
5: future into account and likely to have better economic outcomes. But the idea that your child is doomed if she chooses not to wait for for her marshmallows is really just a serious uh, misinterpretation.
2: Yet, Michelle has been adamant about the idea that teaching self-control at an early age could lead to more success later in life far more
5: important is the discovery that we made, which is that willpower and self-control are cognitive skills which we've been able to identify, which are quite easily teachable not only to children but to adults. The implications of this are particularly important for education.
2: It was this that Watts wanted to investigate further, and to do so, he and his team went at the problem with a different approach than the original research by Michelle. In the original research, Michelle conducted his work at Stanford with groups of 35 to 90 children. Watts and his team used an existing data set called the Study of Early Childhood and Youth Development, a giant corpus of evidence from a long-running study by the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. In the late 1980s, there was a fear that daycare caused problems in children because kids shouldn't be separated from their mothers. Since there was No evidence of this, a group of psychologists created a large-scale study that began at birth, and it measured just about everything. Their home lives, their behaviors, their personalities, everything. And then it tracked those measures over the course of their lives. Today, scientists can use that ongoing research to look at a zillion factors among 1,300 children who have been tracked for years, all the way into adulthood. And in psychology, this data set has been used for decades. I
4: think there's plans to to check in with them now. They'll be like in their mid 20s, which would be mm. really interesting to to see. So most of what we know about childcare
2: actually has come out of that data set. And as luck would have it, those psychologists did the marshmallow test when the kids in the study were around four years old.
4: So we realized, because we had done some work with this data set for other things, that there was this delay of gratification measure sitting there in the data that they had given all the kids that participated in the age four wave of data collection, um, the marshmallow test.
2: With this giant set of data in hand, Watts and his team were able to add a slew of other measures to each individual in addition to how each performed on the marshmallow test.
4: There's a lot of benefits to using this data set for what we wanted to do because like I was saying earlier, it's so important to to think about what controlling for background characteristics will do here, um, that this was the perfect study to do that because there were all of these measures uh, about kids early on that we thought we could use as statistical controls. And then there was a whole host of measures at age 15 in adolescence that we thought would give us a really nice kind of well-rounded and robust picture of kids' uh, lives um, as teenagers, which is what we wanted for for the
2: outcome. At first, Watts and his team looked at just the marshmallow test measure. Did it predict success among this giant bank of kids?
4: And we just looked at um, what's the raw correlation, unadjusted, no control variables, mm-hmm. between waiting and all of these later outcomes at age fifteen. And we found that um, there was a positive correlation between uh, wait, uh, the, the length of time waited. And um, uh, adolescent achievement. So there was a test of math and a test of reading, and kids that waited longer were doing better on both the, the math and reading test at age 15. But then we, we were really surprised that we didn't find really any relationship between waiting and all of the behavioral measures that we had at age 15 for these kids.
2: So, yes, kids that can delay gratification perform better at math and reading in adolescence, but that better performance. It fades out by the time they're 15. They then checked for antisocial behaviors and depressive symptoms, risky behaviors, drug use, pregnancy, impulse control, and other factors, and they found little correlation with those outcomes and how people had performed in the marshmallow test as kids. Next, Watts and his team decided to add other measures. In other words, they put the marshmallow test aside and looked at other things that the psychologists had learned about the four year olds. And they then compared each of those in the same way to see if they correlated with good or bad outcomes later in life. And among those measures were home environment, family background, and whether the child's mother had completed college.
4: Because the the work that Michelle did, the the longitudinal work, was mostly done on kids uh, that were in the Stanford preschool Mm -hmm. uh, in, Mm -hmm. in the late 60s or early 70s. So these are kids whose parents probably are very highly educated, not just highly educated, but educated at like one of the best institutions in the world. So, um, so, so we thought, you know, a kind of nice compliment to that would actually be to focus most of our analyses on uh, kids whose parents did not complete or whose mothers uh, did not complete college.
2: And what Watts and his team found was that it was these other measures, measures all tied to socioeconomic status and the environmental conditions tied to socioeconomic status that most correlated with later success. In addition, those same measures all correlated with whether a child could delay gratification and wait for the second marshmallow. In other words, it was socioeconomic status that both predicted how a child performed on the marshmallow test and if that child fared better later in life. Watts found there is some predictive power in the marshmallow test, about half as much as we once thought, but... It pales in comparison to the predictive power of poverty.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, we think of things, I think, from kind of a causal inference perspective a little bit, which is um, more typical of sort of of economics. You know, econometricians have been, I think, kind of at the forefront of trying to figure out how to make – how to get causal conclusions out of out of non-experimental data, what what we call like observational data, which is where basically you don't experimentally manipulate anything, but you are just observing what happens over time and then you're trying to figure out what causes what? It's very difficult to do. And I think developmental psychology is kind of catching up uh, to to this, um, whereas uh, uh, um, economics has been dealing with this for a while because they were looking at, um, you know, supply and demand data, for instance, right? And you, so, you, you view a change in price, but you can't sort of disentangle, was it a change in supply or a change in demand or something else that sort mm. of caused that? And so, they've, um, I think, kind of have the, the, the edge on trying to figure this out. And actually, it's really important for developmental psychology because it's exactly the kind of question that I think developmental psychologists are typically trying to answer, which is, does something at some point in life uh, either um, a, a sort of cognitive, a, a change in sort of a cognitive skill or cognitive uh, capacity, a change in a in in a behavior, does that actually have a, a causal effect on what happens in a kid's life later on, and the way or a human being's life in in in, in adulthood? The way that we approached this was to think about interventions. So we know that there are there's a lot of interest right now in in preschool. Uh, many states are implementing preschool programs. They're trying to figure out what to do with kids when they get them into a preschool program. Lots of discussions happening about curriculum. There's a lot of discussion happening about, you know, should we be focused on academics? Should we be focused on socio-emotional learning? And so there's a lot of research uh, churn right now that's focused on um, what kinds of interventions are really going to have payoff in early childhood. And there are a lot of interventions that will cite the michelle studies right they'll they'll cite uh, the the famous 1990 study that, that we really talk about the most in our paper as saying look we're going to do something with self-control in early childhood or our intervention teaches a kid strategies to help them delay gratification and we've been told that it's best practice not to use causal language so we're not going to say that it's going to cause something uh later on in life sort of make the sort of you know uh, will kind of imply that there's, a, that there's a causal effect, right? And so what we wanted to do is really sort of say, okay, the, the best way to probably test if a preschool program that teaches a kid to delay gratification is going to have a long-run effect is to hold constant a bunch of stuff in the model that a preschool program probably wouldn't be able to change. So in our sort of first set of models, we control for, like you said, you know, race, ethnicity, gender, Stuff about the parenting environment, um, characteristics measured very early on about the child, like birth weight, there's a very early measure of of cognitive ability and temperament in there. And it's true that some interventions could actually change some of this stuff, some very, very sort of ambitious interventions that would start from birth. But we were kind of focused on, okay, if you have an intervention at age four, it tries to teach kids delay of gratification, it's probably not going to change any of that. So if we kind of hold constant that, and what the statistical model basically does is it says, let's take it two kids who have the same background in all those ways that I just listed off, and now one of them sort of is able to delay gratification, right, or mm-hmm. is able to wait a little bit longer on the test, and the other isn't. Does that difference mean anything for later uh, outcomes? And our models suggested, mm, there's maybe a small effect on achievement um, and really no effect on any of the behavioral outcomes that that we measure.
2: Okay, so then the other thing that comes up here is The story that that we have told about that original research leads to this idea that, well, maybe we could teach people strategies for delaying gratification, and that will then lead to, you know, successful lives. Um, So, just, I just want to hear your, like, your take on that one idea. Like, um, you know, is that a worthwhile endeavor to try to teach people to outsmart themselves, um, whether at, at a young age or any age?
4: you know, it wouldn't be the thing I would start with. (laughs) So if, uh, and it's funny when, when I was like sort of, uh, getting ready to, to talk with you, um, I found this, this, I think it's a charter school in, in Houston and I won't name it, but it looks, uh, fairly large. They have on their website, um, this is right off of their website, uh, if you, so to help, this is quoting, to help your child have a more fulfilling and successful life, teach them to delay gratification. Mm-hmm. If you can train only one thing, this would be the best focus. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't think there's any reason to believe that.
2: This is it. <laughs> right? This is what, this yeah. is the thing. This is what you're, this is this, it. This, is, okay, this
4: go is it. This is exactly what we're trying to probably speak to the most is that that is, um, there's no reason to think that this is the the most important thing or the one thing that you should be focusing on. So if you're, and I've said this uh, to some other uh, people I've talked to about this, but you know if if you're the parent of a four year old and your kid uh, reaches for the marshmallow uh, and doesn't want to wait, I don't think you need to be too concerned, yeah. right? It feels and, like, a, it feels like um, a
2: Portlandia episode, like two, 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 two parents it do the test, and they're like, oh, well, <laughs> never mind. We're not going to spend money on a I would school. love to
4: watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, no, it totally does. It's like, okay, this kid's done. <laughs> He's Forget done. About.
2: Let's just go ahead and try again. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's
4: clear. Uh, so, yeah, so I don't think there's any any reason uh, to be too concerned. But it also, like, like we said earlier... It doesn't just because we sort of show that there's no statistical relationship uh, that predicts from age four to later life outcomes. That doesn't mean that if you're a working adult who's every day trying to, or a kid for that matter in school who has a cell phone and a laptop and multiple social media accounts, and you're living in a world where you know there are, you're constantly faced with distractions that. I think have been pretty convincingly, you know, that I, I've been pretty convinced that just that you do get a little bit of a sort of like reward from, you know, that, that you feel when you click on something new and you see something new and you read a new text, you see a new uh, like on an Instagram post or whatever. That constantly faced with that environment, I, it, it, it makes sense to me that you know you need to be able to kind of focus your attention and. Um, delay uh, the sort of impulse to to want to do all of that or you'll never get anything done so you know I'm not trying to say that delay of gratification is not uh, is a meaningless life skill and I don't think my co-authors would agree with that statement either it's just about is this something that we should be really worrying about teaching kids at age four right, right or right. age three or age five or yeah. whatever.
2: You mentioned this in a couple of different ways, um, and mainly I think it all boils down to you say often in some way or another that we should be targeting these broader cognitive and behavioral abilities um, instead of just delaying gratification or teaching people how to delay gratification. So how would that work out? How does that suss out? What are What are we talking about there? If you could sort of elaborate on what you think would be the better way or the better takeaway from all this.
4: Yeah, well, it's hard to say exactly what kinds of really childhood programs are going to be best you know this is kind of this paper is more in this sort of uh, falsification category yeah, yeah. probably than in this let's, just, generative let's, just, let's category. just
2: grandly speculate
4: yeah right <laughs> um but that is ultimately what we what we want to do um you know i i think i'm at the point with the my read on on the the literature when you look at i don't know if you've ever talked on this podcast about like perry preschool or the Absidarian program no it's, those are two very, very famous uh, early childhood intervention studies. Um, there's a lot there for probably podcasts because they are also very old studies. They were run, they were um, uh, really well-designed and really large-lift, comprehensive early childhood interventions that were both run over 40 years ago. And, but they were uh, experimentally delivered. So there was a random assignment, kids were randomly assigned to either get the intervention or to not get it. Um, and, um, and those are really the two sort of foundational studies in early in the early childhood intervention literature that still really drive all of the work on, uh, you know, anyone that sort of says early childhood is an, is an important time for investment and is the key time to, uh, to, uh, to design and to, and to target interventions. It's really, they're citing Perry preschool and Absedarian. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and so we now, uh, someone has joked that like we have more studies, uh, based on those samples than there were people <laughs> in, <laughs> in the samples, Yeah. but there's been a lot of work trying to figure out what, what, what made those programs successful? Because basically kids who were randomly assigned to the intervention group in both of those programs had, um, uh, sustained achievement, cognitive achievement effects measured throughout schooling. And then, um, and then adult outcomes that we really care about that make that made these programs look wildly uh, successful in a cost benefit analysis, like they were less likely to have run ins uh, with the criminal justice system, there were positive labor market outcomes as adults, positive health outcomes as adults, you know, all sorts of stuff that 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 really um, the sort of economics literature will tell you is the those are the kind of key outcomes. So. What was it about those interventions that are successful? People are still really debating today. But what's interesting today is we're kind of in a space now where those interventions were really, really comprehensive, and they tried to change the family environment. Absidarian was certainly this way. Try to change the family environment. Try to change approaches to parenting. Access to high quality daycare and preschool, and access uh, improving access to. Um, to the healthcare system to get kids vaccinated and get kids uh, uh, um, seen by by doctors and dentists and you know just it, it was like an entire intervention in really every way that you can imagine and 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 so not surprisingly you get effects on all sorts of measures of kids competencies very early on there are behavioral effects there are uh, there are achievement effects. Um, and people speculate, well, was it the behavioral aspect of it, or was it the achievement aspect of it, or was it the change in the parenting that led to the long-run effects? And so, that's kind of driven the approach that we take now, which is like we're looking for this kind of silver bullet thing, mm-hmm. right? Because we want a cost-effective approach. We really like, you know, in behavioral economics, I'm sure you've seen the word nudge. And, oh, yeah. And sort I of visit, I visited
2: their, I visited their, their unit. For, uh, yeah, easily, yeah, yeah.
4: And it's really cool work. Um, and – but what I think our study kind of suggests is that, like, if we're really focused on just looking for one thing, and and our work on math achievement, I think suggested this too. If you're really just focused on looking for one thing, you're probably going to be disappointed. Uh, and and so yeah, so that's just to say that um, I if if I'm putting my bets on a program now, I'm looking for a program that's sort of you know, is proportionate to the problem. Right? So if 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 what you're worried about is kind of like rate changing, and I, and I think most people are, if if you're worried about um, inequality in, in achievement and in educational opportunity, um, the factors that have led to that, both in you know, socioeconomic and racially driven gaps, um, are huge and multifaceted and have been going on for generations and are present in many different aspects of society and can, and can influence what's going on in a person's life in so many different ways that if you show me a program that just does one little thing that you're trying to convince me is going to have this kind of cascade of benefits that's going to unlock all sorts of different uh, positive uh, developmental outcomes for somebody— I'm getting to the point where I find that harder and harder to believe, and so I think that means that what we need are kind of interventions that are, like I said, are kind of proportionate to the problem that we're that we're trying to introduce the intervention to to solve. So that's why I think that you know Perry preschool and aftercare are still really interesting. People will rightfully say that you couldn't do you know, well. I don't know that they're right, but they they make an interesting argument that it would be very difficult to do that kind of thing today, and and that may be the case, but. I think that it could be that the reason that those, and instead of looking for the one thing that those programs did that that led to all the other benefits, the actual answer could be that, well, actually, it was because they did all of those things, right? And um, and that actually could be what it what it was. It wasn't any one thing. It was actually a yes and thing. It was, you know, all of this done in combination and in concert was the big lift that, that, that we needed to really make sort of the long lasting difference.
2: If you were to say, based on what you know now, what is what would you say is the the best takeaway from the original research?
4: Um, well, f- from the original work, I would say that the best takeaway, number one, is that there's there's variation among kids in their ability to um, sort of get through this kind of interesting and, and rather sort of complicated process. Um, Cognitive test, right? And um, and that through sort of setting them into this into this task, or sort of or observing them in this task, you can really learn a lot about how kids are thinking. Uh, and and that's what Michelle uh, wrote about for for many years. He he talked about the kinds of strategies that kids sort of would spontaneously uh, come up with in order to get through the task. You know, they would sing, or they would they would come up with games in order to distract them. I mean. There's so many things that we can learn from from that about sort of the way that kids think and the way that um, that uh, uh, kids behave under under this kind of setting. Um, I think that's, to me, that's still a really, really important uh, takeaway. The other sort of takeaway from the longitudinal work is that delay of gratification is correlated with later stuff in life, but it's probably symptomatic or uh, uh, sort of a downstream effect of other stuff that's going on in their mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's, you know, how you interpret that and, and, and what you do with that is sort of up to you. But it's 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 not that the ability to delay is probably the thing that's causing later stuff in their life. It's probably that there's a lot of stuff going on in their life that's either putting them in a situation that's, um, the, that's likely to produce sort of better achievement outcomes later in high school or better, uh, behavioral adjustment later in high school and delay of gratification, um, is going to kind of pop up maybe early in childhood as sort of a symptom of some of that stuff that, that, that could be going on, but changing delay of gratification, or if that's the only thing that you're looking at, I don't think it's actually going to tell you that much yeah. about where a kid's going to end up. And I, I, as I've talked about this study, um, I, I can't emphasize enough just how I think, um, sort of evergreen a lot of Walter Mischel's work is, because it, it really does sort of raise a lot of interesting questions about what's going on in a, in a young kid's mind, right, uh, at the age of four, at a really sort of interesting time in development. And, um, and there's no question that, especially given sort of the historical implications of when he started doing these tests, I don't think at the time, like, people really thought that Kids were nearly as sophisticated Mm. cognitively as 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 his tests kind of uh, illuminated, right? So, so the mark that he's left on psychology with these experiments is sort of um, is is indelible, and 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 that's why we're still talking about it today. No, it's funny. I was giving, I was doing an interview with NPR and uh, an NPR show in Boston the other day about this, and during the segment right before I went on, there was like while the commercial was playing, they were playing. uh, Tomorrow never knows by the Beatles. So that was just what was in my my headphones, and I was just sitting there thinking. I was like, "This this this was recorded just slightly over fifty years ago, which is exactly when Walter Michel started doing these studies. And the fact that we're still talking about that today, right? Like we're still listening to the Beatles, and we're still talking about Walter Michel's marshmallow experiments <laughs> from the same time. It's like." you know is 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 just emblematic of how important and how interesting those studies are and i just feel like if in my i'm at the other end of my career but if i if i did anything that was as tenth as you know as important or as generative as what walter michelle has done i would feel <laughs> i would feel really successful yeah you know so uh so no i i i haven't uh felt at all like this was a big uh, gotcha moment or anything like that. it's <laughs> absolutely silly yeah.
2: That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart Podcast. You can find previous episodes at Stitcher, SoundCloud, Boing Boing, iTunes, and YouARNotSo Smart.com. You can also find show notes at you are not so smart.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at NotSmartBlog and follow me at David McCraney. and follow the show on Facebook at slash you are not so smart. This show is sponsored by And I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before. And this helped. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If our time was unlimited, how would you use it? And the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing? What is important to you? What is that thing that deserves to take that slot, that precious time? How do you make that a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Y-A-N-S-S today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com Y-A-N-S-S.